This morning we will be looking at two very similar passages that are just separated by a bit of text. We'll look in Luke chapter 13 at verses 10 through 17, and then at Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely authoritative. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely without error. Luke chapter 13, beginning at verse 10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. And now Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. One Sabbath... When he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son, or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out. And they could not reply to these things. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, (coughs) Lord, we ask that you would use your word mightily in our lives, that you would teach us the greatness and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that you would change us by the power of your word and spirit more and more into the image of Jesus. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, as many of us know and have experienced either firsthand or with loved ones, It is no pleasant thing to be struck with pain or illness or disability. But perhaps what is even worse than that is to believe that you are alone in that suffering and disability. 
to think that no one notices or cares. To think that somehow you are left behind, perhaps even that God has left you behind, and that's why you suffer in this way. Well, this morning, we see that those feelings are not true. That the Lord Jesus Christ is the picture of compassion. That the Lord Jesus Christ indeed not only sees those who suffer, but that He pours out His grace upon them. And this brings us to a challenge as we think about those in our midst who suffer. How do we deal with them? How do we understand the gospel of grace and the work of Jesus? And so this morning I would like us to see three things from two stories of healing on the Sabbath. First, we see the realities of a sin-filled world. The world is filled with sin, and that brings heartache and pain. The second thing that we see is Jesus reaching out with His compassionate grace. And then the third thing that we not only see, but we are challenged by, is what it means to be reacting to the work of Jesus. Not only seeing those in the text, but how do we react to the work of Jesus Christ? Well, let's begin then by looking at the realities of this sin-filled world. We see this beginning in verse 10. Luke tells us that Jesus is in church. He's at the synagogue, as was his custom, and he actually is here teaching. This is Perhaps what we think the surest way to tell the difference between people who are blessed by God and people who are not. The ones who are blessed are sitting in church. But this is something very interesting happening in this day with Jesus. This is actually the last recorded time of Jesus being in the synagogue. It's the last time that Jesus, the Son of God, is found in church publicly in the text of Luke as his days are growing shorter and shorter. And something is very different about today at church. In verse 11, we see there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years and she was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. Now you have to picture the the language is very vivid. Behold, Luke says in the midst of this sentence, behold, a woman walks in. And it's not just that it's a little odd as if someone were to come in now late and make a lot of noise and racket and we all would turn or try not to turn too much and see what was going on. No, this is a woman who comes in who has a severe affliction, the kind that you cannot miss. But the irony is, is that for some people, she goes completely unnoticed. They go out of their way not to notice who she is, what her needs are, and what her suffering is. For others, she is merely an attention grabber as she walks in, very disabled and obvious. They didn't have wheelchairs in Jesus' day. But if you could imagine in your mind's eye a woman suffering from a spinal disorder so that she walked virtually doubled over. Now, think about what that would mean. 
It's a very unusual disability, isn't it? It's not like having a lame foot or an arm that doesn't work. Now, when was the last time you saw someone walking around in normal society bent over at the waist? Now, think about how painful that would be physically. How much your waist and your legs and your arms and your neck would hurt as you try to go through life in that way. Think about how limiting a disability that would be. Think about what it would be like not to look up and see the sun. Never to be able to talk to someone by looking them in the eye. Except for with great and grotesque effort. In order to look up and talk to someone, she would have to turn and pitch her body and crane her neck to look up. This is a woman who is obviously suffering. But we know that while this is unusual, it's not unheard of. For disability is actually a normal part of our lives, isn't it? We see people all the time bound in wheelchairs. People who cannot see. People who cannot hear. Some who are developmentally disabled. Some who are emotionally disabled. There is disability all around us. But we have to remember that disability is only normal because this is a broken world. This is not how it should be. This is not how God intended it to be. This is not how Adam and Eve were created. This appearance of disability is a reminder of the sin that permeates this world. Now, let us not go the next false step and say that everyone that is disabled is disabled because of their own sin. No, the scripture doesn't say that. But it does say that they are disabled because of sin. If there were no sin, there would be no blind people. There would be no deaf people. There would be no cripples. It is because of sin. The disabilities that we see around us are a daily reminder of our need of the grace of God. They are God's reminders in our midst, pointing us to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, pointing us toward what is wrong with the world, what is wrong not just with others, but with us. In that sense, we might even dare to say that disabilities are a part of God's gracious message to us. To remind us that this world marred by sin, is not our home. That this world is not right. That this world needs changing and redeeming. It is a reminder that life is not as it should be. And that reminder is loud and clear in the face of those who keep declaring that everything is fine with the world. No, it's not. There's a second man in a Sabbath story. We see him in chapter 14. Jesus is now on a different Sabbath, not in the synagogue, but in a home for a dinner party. And he walks in. It is a dinner party organized by a very prominent Pharisee. We might say it's organized by one of the leading pastors in town, perhaps someone who's even on television. And he says to Jesus, come, come and have dinner with me. 
And if this were a, a very bad film, after he says, come and have dinner with me, he would turn his head and say, I've got something planned for you, Jesus. And Jesus comes and he comes in to the dinner party. And verse 2 is very sharp. And behold, there was a man there who had dropsy. Now, have you ever been in a situation where you have gone into a meeting and there are people there that you don't expect and you're not ready? Gone into a classroom and heard those horrible words, pop quiz. You're just not ready for something. Well, this is what they tried to do to Jesus. You can just imagine they opened the door and they positioned this man who has dropsy right in his line of view. Now, what does this mean? Dropsy is an interesting word, but what does it mean? Medically now, we would think of it and call it as edema. Now, I've I've checked all this with Dr. Dave and I'm solid on my medical information. here. And, And that is, it is something that would be obvious to be seen very often. It, it is a swelling of the tissues of parts of the body because of retaining a fluid. Now, it's not just a disfigurement because that swelling occurs because of the failure of internal organs, usually the heart. So maybe it would make more sense if we said Jesus walked in the door and he saw a man in the midst of congestive heart failure. Does that make it a little bit clearer? The situation that this man is in. Now, this man is not here for dinner. This man is not an honored guest. As a matter of fact, we see later, after Jesus heals him, he tells him to go. This man is here to set a trap. Oh, of course, he's not setting the trap, but the Pharisees are. There is a clear ulterior motive that they have. We see it right here in the text. That the Pharisees were there and they were watching Jesus carefully. They were spying on him. They were waiting to say, Aha! Gotcha! You're healing again on the Sabbath. Now, imagine the mindset there. They're hoping that Jesus heals a man in great distress, but on the wrong day, so that he can get in trouble. This is the mindset that we see. This man in great pain. And and he's treated callously. He is treated as a thing. If they could have brought in a non-living prop to test Jesus, they would have done so. They have no concern for this man's health. They have no concern for this man's disability. They have no concern for his well-being. He's invisible to them, as invisible as a woman who is stooped over and who must look at the ground all the time. You see, we see the pain and the suffering that sin brings. Sin brings in brokenness. And Satan delights. He delights in brokenness and pain. Now, that is not to say that Satan or some demon is the cause of every illness that all of us have ever had. But if you think about it, when you don't feel well, aren't you more often tempted to acts of sin? And then aren't you tempted to excuse them because you don't feel well? Imagine, perhaps, 
that you had a period of time in which you have, have had excruciating pain or debilitating pain. You get discouraged. You stop reading your Bible. You stop praying. You think no one cares for you. You lash out at others because you're in pain and in sorrow. Satan longs to hold on to that. Well, what is the solution then? I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that I have some sort of organic, perfect remedy that if you take three times a day, you'll never get dropsy, you'll never have a problem with your spine, and you'll be healthy and happy forever. Because that would be a lie. But what I will say to you is what the text, the Bible, says in both of these stories. The solution for suffering, for pain, for disability and heartache is the compassion of Jesus. Do you see it here? Jesus sees the need that is before him. When the woman walks into the synagogue, now I want you to imagine Jesus is teaching. He's in charge at that moment. He has important things to do. But where are his eyes? They go right to the woman. Look with me at verse 12. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Jesus, even though he is busy, he sees the woman and her need. How often are we too busy to see the hurts of others? How often do we excuse our own inability to be compassionate because we have important things to do? What could possibly be more important than the Savior of the universe preaching the Word of God? The Word of God teaching the Word of God. And yet because this woman comes in in such pain and anguish, not only of body but of soul, Jesus sees her. He understands her needs. The question then comes to you, not just Are you failing to miss the needs of others? But are you actively looking for the needs of others around you? When you ask someone, how are you today? And they answer in a lackluster fashion. Do you say, that's nice and move on? Or do you follow up? Do you encourage others with a card or with an invitation? Are you actively seeking those who are hurting and in pain, even remembering your own hurts and your own pain, as it assists you and guides you in ministering to others. Jesus doesn't just see her because she's a woman, because he also sees the man. Don't you see this here in chapter 14? The language that Luke uses over and over again is to point us to the seeing The Pharisees are watching and behold, there is a man that Jesus sees. And this man is obviously in pain and in suffering. To the Pharisees, this man was a mere tool to be used. But to Jesus, he was a person made in the image of God who was suffering. How do you view people? Especially if they're not like you especially if they can't do all of the things that you can do. 
Do you view them as having infinite worth as made in the image of God? Or do you view them as somehow pieces in a large machine that rolls forward for your sole benefit? Jesus looks and he sees the need of these two people, but Jesus goes beyond that, for Jesus is not just one who sees and empathizes. No, Jesus is one who acts and changes. Do you see that? He sees the woman, but then he takes the initiative. You could just imagine, this woman is in church. She's been in church for 18 years, bent over. She is faithful. And Jesus is the one who intervenes. If you can imagine, he stops his sermon. He walks over toward her. And he calls her to himself. And he pronounces and speaks words of deliverance. He says, woman, you are freed from your disability. Now, don't be thrown by the use of the word woman here. We wouldn't use that in polite society. But here in Jesus' day, it's practically the equivalent of ma'am. He's very respectful. And he declares to her that she is free, that she suffers no longer. This is what only Jesus can do. Only Jesus can speak, and it is so. Only Jesus can intervene in the lives of his people, and they are changed forever. But then do you see what Jesus does? Like so often, he goes beyond what is necessary. You see, this is the one who spoke and the world came into existence. The sun and the moon and the stars. This is the one who spoke and the mountains rose and the valleys were laid and the seas were filled. And he speaks to her a word of deliverance, completely sufficient. But Jesus goes the next step in his compassion and he comes up to her and she, a woman, one of a lower class in this society, lower than the class of a woman, an injured, invalid woman, one whom others would walk around, one whom others would try to ignore. Jesus comes right to her and he touches her. Why? Does he need to touch her back in order for the healing to be made whole? No. It's the compassion of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, our Lord Jesus Christ is not somehow participating in a transaction with His people that if they give to Him belief, He gives to them a ticket out of hell. No. Jesus calls together to Himself a people that He loves, that He showers His affection, His compassion, and His love upon. He shows His love to her By his touch, he touches her, and immediately she was made straight. Jesus not only frees the woman, he also restores the man in chapter 14. Now, you have to understand this once again. Chapter 14 comes after chapter 13, right? So he's already had people attack him for healing on the Sabbath. And now this is a setup. This is so obvious. There's no subtlety to this. Jesus thinks he can heal on the Sabbath. Well, let's see. We'll invite him to a party. 
He'll be on the, on the Sabbath. And then we'll put a really sick guy right in front of him. And now, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, 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 better than that. You, you two stand in front of the sick guy. And when Jesus opens the door, you can move out of the way and kapow, we'll hit him with it right in front of it. And let's see what he does. Jesus knows the risks here. He knows that a trap has been sprung. But Jesus is not afraid. He's not afraid of compassion. He knows that the man is the one who is fearful. This man obviously knows he's been used as a tool. This man obviously knows he's sick, perhaps sick unto death. And Jesus, as we see over and over again in the Gospels, cares more for the needs of his people than for his own inconvenience or his own difficulties, challenges, and work. Jesus is doing more here, though, than simply healing bodies. He's using both of these opportunities for healing as tests. You see, what really is going on here, first and foremost, is a theology exam. You see, the Pharisees were the ones who prided themselves on knowing the Bible inside and out, on knowing all of the discrete questions. Anyone who had a very difficult question, they would go to the Pharisees. Anyone who had a question that wasn't clear in the Bible, that's where they would go. They were the living, breathing, walking commentaries. But did they really understand what the Bible teaches? Because you see, if their theology really was right, they would listen to Jesus, wouldn't they? Have you thought about that in your own life? If your theology is right, you will listen to Jesus. Whatever he speaks, whatever he says, you will listen to him. Because he is the word of God. This is not just a test for the Pharisees, it's a test for you and me as well. Will we follow Jesus? Will we listen to Jesus? Will we study with Jesus? But it's not just a test of the mind. It's also a test of the heart, isn't it? It's not just about the Pharisees' theology, but it's about the way that works out in their lives. Will they continue to ignore this woman and her needs? Will they continue to use people like this man for their own ends? Or will they be more like the woman who glorifies God after she has been healed? I mean, do you notice that? I think many of us would be tempted after we had been healed for 18 years to begin a litany of complaints of all of the things we weren't able to do for 18 years and how hard it had been. But she immediately moves to glorifying God. You can imagine almost in your mind's eye the one who was stooped over and unable to walk now jumping for joy in the middle of church. What a wonderful scene. But then the question comes, how will the people around react to God in their midst? How do they react to the work of Jesus? Sadly, the first thing that we see is far too common. It is an uncaring unbelief. You see, this was about more than just healing. Jesus had had a controversy on the Sabbath with the Pharisees. You may remember in Luke chapter 6, 
And Jesus had warned the people in Luke chapter 11 that they needed to repent or else they would perish. And then just recently we saw in Luke chapter 13, Jesus saying that unless you repent, you likewise will perish. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? The healing is not really about the bodies of the people. It's about the hearts of those looking. Jesus is saying, I've called you to repent. Have you? Or are you the same old, miserable, God rebels that you were in chapter 6 and in chapter 11. Have you learned anything, Jesus might say? How should the leader of the synagogue have reacted? Well, he's the ruler, the leader of the church. He's the worship leader. He's the everyday pastor. He should be the holiest man in the church. He should be the one that seeks the welfare of his people most. He should have been joyful for this woman. He should have glorified God. But how does he react? The Pharisees in chapter 14, how should they have reacted? They should have been glad that a man had been healed and would no longer die. They should have realized their own sin and their own shortcoming and that Jesus had graciously called them to repentance. But what do we see? We see a ruler of the synagogue who is indignant. He's angry. He's aroused at something that he is convinced is wrong. And can you imagine? He looks. Now, he's a coward because he refuses to speak to Jesus. But he looks out at the people and he looks at the woman and he says, there are plenty of days to get healed on. Leave and come back on a different day to get healed. Go walk bent over some more, would you? Because God wouldn't want you to get healed today. God wouldn't want you to be freed today. God would want you to suffer today. Why? Because I said so. Because that's the rules that we have here. We don't do healing in church. We don't do any kind of work on church day. They nourish their hatred. See, Jesus knows what's in their hearts. It's so obvious to him. Look at the wonderful turn of phrase in chapter 14. In verse 3. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now, there's something missing here. Do you see it? They don't speak. He responds to people who have not said a word. But that's because only Jesus can see the heart. You can't hide your heart from Jesus. And Jesus asked them this question, and he asked them the question, and they're silent because Jesus is saying, in essence, show me the verse that says you can't heal on the Sabbath. Guess what? There ain't one. Jesus is challenging them. You see, he knows the only thing that they can appeal to is their own authority, their own rules, their own desire for control. Well, if we don't react like that, how are we called to react? We're called to react with an active belief in Jesus. Jesus shows us who is in charge. It's, it's very interesting. Luke makes it clear with just a turn of phrase. After the synagogue ruler 
gets all upset and indignant, and he speaks to the people. Jesus looks to him and responds. But do you see what Luke does in verse 15? And then, the Lord spoke to him. Jesus is in charge. He is the Lord. He is the real ruler. He is the one who declares. And notice what Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't do what some of us wish he did to make life easy. He doesn't say, oh, you know, no, you know, this Sabbath thing, it's not important. Uh, No, 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 this Sabbath thing, it's no longer binding. I've come here to change the whole nature of the Sabbath. Think about how much easier it would be to say that. There's only one problem. It's not true. Jesus deliberately takes a truth that has been twisted and marred a truth of God that has been layered over with years and years of pharisaical gunk. And he cuts right to the core of it. And the result is that the people begin to glorify God. Well, what can you do? In conclusion, you can recognize the truth of the Sabbath. Jesus heals on the Sabbath. But we have here a woman who's bent over. For 18 years, she comes to church. That kind of makes it hard for us to make an excuse not to be in church, doesn't it? I know that makes us uncomfortable. Pastor's not supposed to say things to poke at us. But it's true. Why does she need church? Not to check a box. But because it's in church that she meets and sees Jesus. Do you know that's true for you too? Now, Jesus isn't going to physically touch you and heal you this morning. But Jesus is with you by his word. Jesus calls us to have compassion upon others. And what better day, Jesus says, to have compassion on others than on God's day? Have you thought about spending a portion of your Lord's day visiting the sick, writing cards for the infirm, talking to people who are hurting on the phone, The Lord's Day is meant for worship and rest, but Jesus declares to us it's also meant especially for compassion. The world today is full of sin and pain. And the the question that comes to us is, do we see opportunities of God's grace in the midst of that pain and suffering? Do we have testimonies of God's grace? Jesus wants us to see this. That's, I think, a good portion of the reason why he healed on the Sabbath. Let's pray.